All right, good evening. Glad to be back with you. We are continuing on in our study of the book of Ephesians. So uh, hopefully you brought your Bible, and as we continue along uh, through these lessons, hopefully we are gaining, um, again, some knowledge and, and uh, you know, what God wants us to understand in these scriptures. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you recall, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and we looked at all of the many blessings uh, that are found in Christ. All right, so uh, Paul says all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. And you know, we talked about the process of, be, of becoming in Christ, uh, which we find in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, and Galatians 3, 26 and 27, uh, to be in Christ. You are, you know, you're, you're baptized into Christ, and that's how one becomes in Christ. And so all through Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul writing something to the effect of in Christ. You know, in Christ, you have this, you have, uh, you are accepted, you are chosen, uh, you have an inheritance, you are forgiven of your sins. All of these things are in Christ. These are the spiritual blessings that the Christian has in Christ. And, uh, you know, it's kind of overwhelming uh, as they were reading that to see one thing after another uh, that they have those spiritual blessings in Christ. And then last week we talked about relying on prayer. You know, Paul really emphasized prayer towards the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians. And we noticed that uh, Paul was constantly in prayer uh, for the churches uh, around that he helped establish. And he was constantly in prayer for individuals. And uh, we noticed, you know, a lot of what he had to say about prayer. Uh, But tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're really uh, going to be spending time in cha- or verses 1 through 10, where Paul is focusing on the power of grace. Uh, the power of grace. Now, it's interesting, uh, in chapter 1, he kind of you know, emphasizes being in Christ. But when we get into verse 1 of chapter 2, he's going to emphasize the opposite. Uh, what it is to be outside of Christ, what a terrible condition it is to be outside of Christ. And so, you know, if we honestly, we examine our lives, um, there's two truths uh, that we should be able to acknowledge uh, to ourselves. And first, that God is holy and perfect. And two, although we are called to be holy, um, we don't always live up to that, do we? We cannot be perfect. Uh, but Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I know maybe that sometimes scares individuals when they read that. Because, oh, I'm supposed to be perfect. You know, how, how can that be? But really uh, what that verse is talking about is that we need to be um, perfect as in mature, uh, completer. Uh, as we you know, live our Christian lives, we are... Uh, gaining uh, more insight into what God wants us to be. And so we're becoming more mature as Christians. And so because we fall short, because we fall short uh, of perfection, um, uh, of us being perfectly, uh, you know, as Jesus was sinless, because we fall short of those things, we stand at God's mercy and grace, right? We need his mercy and grace, uh, sometimes, you know, at least 
For me, I've always kind of thought those two terms were you know, pretty much similar. And there are a lot of similarities to them. But, you know, there are some differences. And we can say, uh, you know, of course, grace is, you know, a good way to think of it is it's unmerited favor. Uh, it's unmerited favor. It's blessings bestowed when wrath was owed. So, so that's grace. And then mercy is, you know, it's something that we cannot provide ourselves. I saw a good illustration about this the other day of, you know, let's say you're in court and, you know, you, you, you've committed a, a heinous crime and you're standing before the judge. Okay. And you know you're guilty of that crime, but the judge uh, releases you. Um, that's grace. Right? You, you, you've been released of those crimes that you've committed. But then to take it a step further, the judge says to you, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to be your personal mentor from now on. And I'm going to you know, help guide you uh, through these things. And that's really what mercy is. It's, um, again, something that we cannot provide ourselves. Um, but we receive mercy and grace. And so, again, regarding the holiness of God and his son Jesus, scripture, again, is clear. Um, you know, it says in Habakkuk 1.3 that, you know, God can't even look upon sin. Right? That's his nature. He can't even look upon it. Uh, about Jesus in Hebrews, I like this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 14 and 15, talking about the holiness of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so um, Jesus is sinless. Uh, he, but, you know, he was tempted in all the ways that we are uh, when he entered the flesh and came to earth. And so, you know, again, we notice that, you know, God, Jesus are, are holy. Um, so God is that standard. God is the standard. Paul's going to say later in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, he's going to say, be imitators of God. Um, Paul said in First Corinthians 11, 1. You know, to be imitators of him, just like he is an imitator of Christ, right? So that's our standard uh, that we want to be. Um, you know, we want to live a life emulating Jesus. But again, you know, we can't live up to that 100% uh, perfectly. Uh, you know, what does the Bible have to say about that? In Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Of course, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, as humans, we fall short. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 10, you know, John over there says that you know, if we say that we are sinless, then we make Jesus uh, be a liar. Right? We, we make him be a liar if we say that we are sinless. And, you know, again, God is holy, and when we are left... To our own devices, um, you know, we're not. But thankfully, God has made provisions for us he, he's, uh, that we can be reconciled to him. Again, you know, it's true that sin separates us from God, right? Sin separates us from God. 
Uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2 is um, a really powerful verse that explains that for us. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Right? So because of the sins that we commit, we have been separated uh, from God. And rather than immediately giving us what our sin uh, deserves, right? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Uh, because uh, we sin, we deserve death. But we understand that God, uh, he gives mercy, he gives grace, and he's long-suffering. You know, another powerful passage to that effect is 2 Peter uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 9. that says, and the Lord knows, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Right? So again, our sins separate us from God. Uh, we can't do anything uh, to earn salvation, but God has given, we deserve death, but God is long-suffering with us. He is patient with us, and he's made it possible uh, through his gracious plan uh, that he substituted our death that we deserved with Jesus, right? Jesus was our propitiation. You know, he took the blame, so to speak, for our sins. And so um, Paul, when he wrote 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so in the lesson text that we're going to be studying tonight, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it's going to provide us a description of the power of God's grace. And we're going to notice that without it, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are dead, uh, but then we're going to also going to notice that with it, salvation is possible. And we're not allowed to, or we have no room to boast in, in anything because this is a grace that God is providing for us. Um, and, and because of that, we also have a purpose and direction uh, that verse 10 is going to speak of. So hopefully we're going to understand a little bit better what grace means um, from God and that we can you know, live our lives the way that he would want us to and that we can honor his plan and so let's, let's take a look at the first few verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And let's notice some things here. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So there's probably a um, few concepts more, or not more universally known uh, to us as humans as death. Right? We all understand death, uh, that we all are going to experience it. We experience it, you know, every day, um, and we're... Uh, 
each individual person is going to experience, right? Death is no respecter of persons. A lot of times when I think about that, I think about the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. You remember this parable where uh, this, this farmer was having a very good year. You know, he was planting his crops and they were coming up and it was very good. And so what he decided to do was to take his old barns and tear them down. And he was going to build up these bigger, nicer ones and that he could put all of his, uh, his uh, crops in there. And he, he would store them for years and years and he'd live off that. And, you know, th- this individual, he just wanted to live off, you know, the, the things that he produced. And, and we notice about this, this man, if we were to study the parable more in depth, uh, you know, that, you know, he was, he was a rich man. Um, you know, no doubt he probably made uh, friends with the bankers and such in town. And um, he, he was probably a popular uh, individual. But we noticed in this parable that God comes to him that night and, and tells him that his soul is required of him. Uh, basically, he's telling him that he was, he was going to die there. And we notice, you know, no matter how much, you know, money this individual had, no matter uh, how uh, popular he might have been, uh, how good his crops were, you know, God is no respecter of persons. And death is no respecter of persons. And, and his life was taken in, the, in the, that very night in that parable. Um, and, and again, death is something that we're all going to experience. Um, and long time after you know, we're gone, we're going to be forgotten. Uh, but we know that we are going to die. And it's just not the, the reality of death that we're familiar with, but the results of it. Um, you know, when we die, we're, we're no longer viable, right? We're no longer viable. You know, James said in James 2.26 that the spirit without the body is dead. So at that uh, point in one's life, when the spirit leaves the body, they're dead. Um, and the, the physically dead, the person who is dead physically, you know, there's nothing that you can do from that point on to change it or anything like that. And so building upon this, this premise or these thoughts about, you know, dying physically, Paul says here in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, Maybe you're reading out of the New King James, and it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So Paul is making a spiritual application here uh, that those who are outside of Christ are dead. They're spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. Okay, so how are they dead? Uh, in their sins. You know, if we define, kind of define uh, these words, sin, really what the word sin means is to miss the mark. So if you want to think about that a little bit easier, just think of an archer who's, you know, he's shooting an arrow at a target. And if he missed the mark, uh, that was to sin. Uh, so, he, you know, he might come up short, he might shoot it past the target or not hit the bullseye. And, and that's, that's really what it means to sin. You miss the mark. And if we think about trespasses, that means we are deviating uh, from the correct path, uh, from the, the right path. And so uh, those who are dead, spiritually dead, are those who have missed the mark and they've veered off into another direction uh, that um, you know, obviously God uh, does not want them to take. And so verse 2 then says, in which you formerly walked. Right, so we, we, we've got these the individuals who are spiritually dead, and 
and they're walking. They walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And they've allowed their actions really to be you know, directed by the, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, who do you think that's in reference to? It's probably a reference to Satan, right? The prince of the, the prince of the power of the air, and because of that, we find ourselves in a hopeless condition. Um, and rather than being able to rectify their situation, individuals without the help of God and Christ are rightly numbered uh, among the the children of wrath that verse three talks about who indulge rather than deny their own desires, right? These individuals, uh, among them too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we've noticed a couple of things in these passages that Paul is saying, a lot of, the, a lot of these things in the past tense, right? He says, and you were dead, in your trespasses. Among them too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. So these, these Christians who were in Ephesus, they were at one time spiritually dead. They were spiritually dead and God brought them back to life, which we'll notice in the next few verses. Um, but, the, you know, this is, this is in contrast to what Paul uh, was you know was saying right when we are physically dead, we don't have any more opportunities, right? But when we are spiritually dead, we can go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, right? And so let's let's look at that in verses four through seven. So we've noticed that we're made alive, and now we're going to notice. Uh, some other things about this in verse 4 through 7 about the power uh, of grace. And so Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So again, you know, we can't earn uh, salvation, right? We can't earn um, uh, those things. Uh, it's through grace that Paul says here in Ephesians 2. And instead they come because he is rich we notice here in verse 4 that he is rich in both mercy and in love. Again, mercy is God's goodness extended towards those who are in need. Again, we can't do anything uh, to do this, to receive this, but God is merciful for us. And then he says because of God's great love. Um, you know, in the English language, you know, we have the word love. You know, so if I said I love my children and if later I said I love pizza, right, I'm using the same word there. Uh, but you got to kind of use, you know, the context of the situation to understand 
you know, well, I love my children way more than I love pizza. And I think everyone understands that. Uh, But in the Greek, they had different words for the word love. And so um, there was a phileo love. So that was, you can see the word Philadelphia in there, brotherly love. And so when you were to say, use that word, you know, you were using a brotherly love term. Um, There was storge love. Uh, So this was more of a familial type of love, the love you'd have for your mom and dad and, and family. But the the, the love that is used most often in Scripture is agape love. Um, this is the, the Greek word agape, uh, that this is the type of love that uh, is used most often. Um, trans, it's most often translated love in our, you know, our English translations and agape love. What it really means is um, you're looking out for the best interests of others. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, Romans 5 eight. but God demonstrated his own love towards us, his own agape towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So agape love um, is looking out for one's best interests. It's seeking the best for friend or foe, right? Jesus told us to love our enemies. That's agape love. We want to look out for their best interests. And so that's the kind of great love it says right here in Ephesians 2, verse 4, because of being, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And we're going to notice that God is not limiting his mercy and his love only to those who seemingly deserve it. But these Ephesians who, they were at one time spiritually dead, right? Just as each one of us here you know, at one time, was, were spiritually dead. But because of God's grace, he, he gives us the opportunity to, um, to become a child of God. And we'll notice that here as we go in, to, go in here to the text further. And so he's extending this consideration to those who are spiritually dead. Again, you know, it's just not who he picked or... Um, you know, maybe his favorite group, but he is giving the opportunity for those uh, to receive his grace to all those um, who are going to, you know, obediently obey him. And so um, when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were dead in our sins, God intervened. And of course, he did that by sending his son uh, to the cross again, to be a propitiation, uh, a covering of our sins uh, through him because he was that sinless sacrifice um, that could do it. And so, uh, again, notice, let's notice these three key phrases uh, that drive the action here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, according to God's grace. Again, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. Again, we were spiritually dead, and he made us spiritually alive. You know, if if death is a separation, as Isaiah 59 says, if we are separated from God because of our sins, we are now alive. We are now reconciled to God through his grace. Um, And he's going to tell us later, this isn't in our text tonight, but later in Ephesians 2.13, he's going to tell us, 
how that came about. He says, by now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so, so those who are far off, those who were spiritually dead, they are now spiritually alive. They are brought near because of the blood of Christ. So let's keep that in mind as we read this, this next part in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, and raised us up with him. Okay, so we have been raised up with him, he says. Well, we, we can go to some other passages in Scripture to kind of help us better understand what does that mean. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Paul here is describing uh, the gospel. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, starting in verse 1, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse 4 says, And that he was buried, and that he was raised up on the third day, according to the scriptures. Okay, so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is telling us that, you know, Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised, or he was resurrected. And again, back in Ephesians chapter 2, we're being told that we are raised up with him. Okay, so, so Jesus was raised, and we are raised up with him. So to even connect that further, we can look at a couple more passages. Uh, Romans chapter 6 comes to mind. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in the Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says in Romans 6, 3 and 4, that we are enacting, or enacting the, through baptism the death and the burial and resurrection. Right? We, we, we go down under the water, we're buried, we're immersed, and we are putting off that life of sin. Uh, the life that's contrary to, to God. And then as we are raised up, it says that uh, we are enacting uh, his death and burial and his resurrection. So we are raised up with him. And, and one more uh, scripture that helps clarify this for us is in Colossians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 12. You know, again, plainly it, it tells us, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now listen to verse 13, because this is pretty similar to what we've just been reading about in Ephesians chapter 2. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, all our transgressions. Right? So we are made alive in Christ and we are raised up with him. And again, what Romans and Colossians tell us is that, that raising up is, is the part of uh, baptism that we reenact, the death, burial, and resurrection. And then finally, he says, back in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, towards... Uh, Verse, verse 6, he says, and, we are seated, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, so he made us sit together in the heavenly places. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we think about uh, sitting, or especially in the Bible, when uh, the Bible talks about sitting, you know, it's talking about, you know, a, a rest. Um, are you familiar with musical chairs? Right? So uh, if there's eight of you playing, you get seven chairs and put them in a circle, you know, and the music starts playing and you're walking around those, those chairs. And as soon as the music stops, you all try to frantically go over there and grab a seat. And, you know, whoever doesn't get that seat, they're out of the game. Right. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be like here. Um, we're not frantically trying to secure our place in heaven. But as Paul says here, we are seated he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so again, we, uh, we were formerly outside of Christ. And uh, we've, we've noticed by God's grace that he's given us an opportunity to be in Christ. And because of that, we are no longer, um, we are no longer dead. We are spiritually alive now. And because of that, we are... We've been made alive. We have been raised up. And then finally, let's notice in verses 8 through 10 that, that we are saved. In verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, so Paul here, he's clearly stating that salvation results because of God's grace. For you are saved by grace through faith. Therefore, without God's grace, uh, we are hopeless. Again, the salvation is not earned, but it's a gift of God. Um, it's a gift of the merciful and gracious and loving God. And uh, again, a gift uh, is something that must be accepted, right? Uh, you know, if I were to say to you that, you know, I've got a gift for you waiting at my house, um, in order for you to get that gift, you know, you'd have to go to my house and accept it. You didn't earn it because I'm gifting it to you, but you at least have to do something to go and get it. And the same thing is about grace. Grace you know, a lot of times people want to use grace as, um, you know, a, a coverall to, you know, live a life of sin. And they'll say something to the effect of, you know, well, grace, is, grace will cover that. I'll be okay. But let's look at some of these passages. Um, talk, speaking about grace here shortly, in Titus chapter 2, this is a great verse to go to when, when talking about grace. In Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, uh, here Paul wrote, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Right? So, so grace has been extended uh, to all individuals but we need to do something in order to receive that, right? We can't just live a life, an ungodly life, uh, an unrighteous life, but we have to let grace instruct us, as verse 12 says. Grace instructs us. 
First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse four. Paul says there to uh, Timothy, he writes there and says, well, let's start in verse three. First Timothy chapter two, verse three he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? God desires that all men be saved. He doesn't say that all men will be saved, but he desires that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And again, that's by his grace. But in order to uh, receive his grace, we need to, as the verse tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? It's through faith that we receive uh, that grace. And, you know, again, if we had time to look at all these verses, you know, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says that uh, to, uh, we have to have faith. Um, it's, it's impossible to please God if we don't have faith. Um, and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. And so faith is, it, it, remember, it's an action word. Um, it's not taking a blind leap into the dark, but it's, um, it's doing something. It's action. Um, it's based on evidence. Again, it's not just a mental um, assent uh, that uh, you believe, but it's, um, it's you know, living a life uh, obediently and faithfully. Um, Again, I know I'm touching on a lot of scripture tonight, but Hebrews 5, 9 says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. All right, so we receive eternal salvation through Jesus by obeying him and his word. Um, and so, again, by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, and then let's look at verse 10, because I know we're running about out of time here. In verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So there is a purpose for us, right? Uh, there is a purpose for the Christian. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 4, he said that we were chosen before um, the, the foundation of the world. And here it's telling us that you know, before creation, God had in mind that, you know, we would do good works. Uh, we would be those people who, who would do uh, good works. You know, the question's not, does God want us to live in a certain way? But the question should be, will we live um, as God desires? Are we going to be the lights of the world that he wants us to be? First um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 is another great verse on this topic. It says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Right? We, we as Christians have been bought with a price, and again, that price was Jesus' blood, and so therefore uh, we need to glorify God with our bodies. So we didn't exactly get all that I wanted to touch on tonight, but uh, again, I'm thankful for your attendance and uh, look forward to continue studying Ephesians with you uh, next Wednesday night.